little bit about life and stuff. Um, all right, open your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis chapter 19. Genesis chapter 19. And uh, what was that? Yeah, really, probably, <laughs> probably. Genesis chapter 19, and uh, starting in verse 1, and, and I'll just tell you before I read this that this is a very uh, rough passage, and so I don't think that there's any like uh, teeny children in here, but it's, um, this, is, uh, definitely, uh, this is definitely rated R. So Genesis chapter 19, starting in verse 1, and this is God's word. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening. And Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. And they said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called a lot. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we'll deal, we'll deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out with their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they, that would be the angels, struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, sons-in-laws, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city? Bring them out of this place, for we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against this people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-laws to be jesting. As the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I think you'll agree that this is uh, quite a disturbing story. And uh, while many people have heard the terms Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, they don't really know what happened uh, in Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, They've heard of Sodom, uh, and all they really know is fire and brimstone, and uh, maybe not even that, and that's about all people know. Uh, but now you see that it's uh, quite, a, quite a horrible story, um, quite a shocking action by Lot as well. And um, before we proceed, let me point out just a couple important things. I'm going to point out something that we need and then pull in from something from last week. The thing that we need first, I think, is this. This kind of account, when you read something like this, I mean, it's tough, isn't it? It's, it's tough Old Testament 
writing. And you read stuff like that. You know, one of the benefits of a passage like this is that it validates the authenticity of the Scriptures. If you were going to invent some religion that was a sweet little help for a bunch of dummies uh, who like fairy tales, why, oh why, would you stick this in here when it is such fodder for a skeptical onlooker? And it is troublesome to the heart. I read this, and it almost kind of vibrates in the heart. Um, These kinds of brutally raw passages that kind of make us squirm uh, are written down because they happened. It's not some piece of agenda, propaganda, that uh, somebody's trying to get more Christians into the Christian club. This is hard. It is a report of history. Um, It doesn't condone history. There's a lot of stuff in the Scriptures that reports, but doesn't condone. It reports. Um, But this is also part of this theological story that God wants to tell us uh, in his word from the beginning to the end, cover to cover. It's part of the theological history that God wants us to know. And so, ladies and gentlemen, you read something like this and you go, man, that is terrible. But let me tell you, only the naive doubt that humanity could sink to such a state, that, a, that an entire city could be so overcome with uh, sexual promiscuity and so charged in that way, so violent in that way. Only a naive person could ever think that a society couldn't sink that way. Um, uh, this is a very blunt statement about humanity. It's uh, to humanity, about humanity. It's a a way to state true and hard things, all right? The second thing I want to pull in from last week, um, if you, let let me put it this way, where you start, you know, we're talking about the issue of homosexuality, and there are six passages that address it. We're going to look at, uh, we're going to do it over five weeks. We're going to combine two of them in the last one. Um, and, of course, missions conference is next week, and so we've got to take a break but from it and everything. But um, we will finish it in five weeks. Um, but let me say, from what we talked about last week, where you start in your understanding of this issue is likely where you will finish. What I mean is this. If you start your consideration about anything in this life or universe, if you say, hmm, what should I think about such and such? If you start by saying, okay, God, let's look at your creation, the way you designed it, the way you would like it to be, the way you have said in your word. If you start there, you will probably end there. But if you start the issue of anything in life, consideration of anything in life, but let's just say homosexuality, the the issue of it in our culture, if you start with a touching story or a personal experience or a heartbreak, Uh, something anchored in the experience of man, that is probably where you're going to end up. If you start saying, what saith the Scriptures from Genesis 1 verse 1, you'll probably end up there. But if you say, yeah, forget that, I'm going to start with human experience, you'll probably end up with human experience. You'll probably end up twisting Scriptures to fit your agenda, even if you're convinced that you're in the first category. No, I'm submitting to God's Word, and I really want to know what He says. If you start with human experience, you're probably going to end up with human experience and try to make the Scriptures fit into that framework. Now, one of the things that makes this issue so difficult is that we do love people. We do, don't we? We love people. And, um, you know, I told you this, ladies and gentlemen, um, I worked at a dance studio. You know, that's, that's how I came to Memphis, right? Anybody not know that? That I moved down to Memphis? And I always say, how'd you come to Memphis, Jim? Oh, I came down with a former job. My former job was I was managing a Fred Astaire dance studio. 
Did you know that? Who didn't know that? It's wild, wacky stuff. Uh, but I was working for my dad's company in Chicago. Uh, I had long hair that I put up in my little wool cap, and I was doing hard labor, and I was just absolutely miserable. So I opened up the newspaper. I looked for no experience necessary, and there was a dance studio. And I was like, hey, and basically the teachers are like two weeks ahead of the students. So I just learned this thing, and I'm teaching it, you know. And uh, so I taught a couple, uh, oh, I don't know, three, three, four months in Illinois. Then I moved to Milwaukee and was up there for a while, and then I came down to Memphis and managed the school. That's how I came down here. But let me, my point is, how many homosexual people and bisexual people uh, do you think I knew? I mean, when I managed the school, who did you think I was hiring? Who did you think I was training? Uh, when you deal with people on a regular basis, you know, if they're, if they're family, you love them, don't you? Listen, I've got a trans uh, relative. I've got a gay relative. Um, I've, I've known a lot of people in my life, and I, I, you, you respect them as human beings. You respect them as image bearers, and yet at the same time you say, you've got this issue wrong because you're not going to God's Word and starting in the right place. All that to say, I hope you understand that when I speak passionately about God's Word, I feel, I feel right to do that, but I don't want you to confuse my passion with some kind of bitter anger or some kind of, ooh, those people are so stupid to believe this other thing. I'm not one of those, oh, you're stupid if you believe this kind of guys, because God has opened up his word and his truth to us, okay? So I want you to hear that I respect um, any listener, and I also understand how tricky the situation is. You love people. Um, you, you want to include them. You want the best for your child. You want them to flourish, um, but... It's magnetic indeed to frame one's belief system around a difficult situation. You've got this difficult human experience scenario. You want to fit your theological framework around it. You can't do it. If you start there, you'll end up in the wrong place. If you start in the right place, you'll probably end up in the right place. And when I read um, pro-gay, affirmational, revisionist, however you want to say it, the fancy terms, when I read these kinds of... uh, so-called Christian theologians. It's the same vibe I get when I watch Joel Osteen on the, ho- on the Hotel Channel or read or watch something by Rob Bell. Uh, or, you know, if you're in just code red spiritual health, if you get your spiritual advice from uh, Oprah Winfrey, you, you, you're limping along, believe me. There's, there's, there's hardly spiritual health in that. But all I'm saying to, to you is this. It's sometimes hard to put your finger on why a thing doesn't seem right, but you know in your heart that it's not right. That's the Holy Spirit gripping you. Um, it, it's, it's a sense of having wriggled out from underneath the full authority and co- accountability of the Scriptures, and that's always the treacherous cliff. So hear me. Um, don't mistake my passion for mean-spiritedness or anything like that. I, I do not criticize anyone's journey. What I am is a simple Bible teacher, and I want to tell you that this is true, and I want, you to, I want it to, to, to grip you, all right? So... Um, one last thing, and we'll, co- we'll get cooking here. Um, one of the things that the, uh, the, the LGBTQ agenda has done so successfully over the years is couple themselves with civil rights. And uh, they, they did it. They did it. I mean, they, they, they have taken an entire generation and more and have infused this sense in them. And it, when I talk about, when I, I, when, you know, I, told, I told you last week, when I talk about this issue, you can people see people seize up. Well, last week I saw people seize up. I saw people go, they're like, I hear what you're saying, but you're wrong. 
I hear what you're saying, but that's bigoted. I hear what you're saying, but that's, you know, it's, it's almost racist in the sexual way. And uh, I'm telling you, that, that's, a, uh, that's a liberal agenda that has affected our culture. We're not talking about brown people or black people or yellow people or white people or, or any other kind of people that God made in his image equal in value. We're not talking about that. Um, bloodline and heritage are different than propensity and behavior, and that's the argument. Again, we have to start with the Scripture. So those things said, let's go to uh, our main idea. Our main idea is this today. Uh, God's judgment is very specific and very real, and so is his rescue. That's what I'd like you to take away from here. So uh, let's go to our first sermon point, which is this, a righteous lot. Let's look at the passage together. Uh, Chapter 19, verse 1. It says, The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting at the gate of Sodom. Now, there's a lot, there's a lot packed into that first sentence. Um, and uh, and, it, and it, there's hopeful stuff in there, too, and maybe even laughable. These two angels come to Sodom in the evening, and Lot is sitting in the gate of Sodom. Uh, to get the flavor, let me speed preach through some of chapter 18. Uh, some of chapter 18, uh, you've got, you've got um, Abraham praying to God, and he's talking about Sodom. Uh, God is going to destroy Sodom. And Abraham goes, up, um, suppose there are 50 righteous people within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare for the 50 righteous who are in it? And God says, uh, God's you know, playing along with Abraham. God says, well, um, I'll tell you what, there are 50 righteous people in that entire city, just 50. I'll spare it. And then Abraham, I just love how he's, you know, he, he goes, um, he says, um, uh, oh, where is it? If he says, um, uh, if, there are, if there are five less than 50, how about if there are five less than 50? Hey, don't you know what? He doesn't say 45. He says, if there are five less than 50, now would you spare five less? If just five people. He's reasoning with God. And God's like, oh, 45 people? Sure, I would spare the city. And it goes down, 30, 20, 10. Uh, what if you find 10 righteous people? Uh, in the city. And would you spare it for 10 righteous people? Oh, sure, I'll spare it for 10 righteous people, uh, uh, Abraham. Uh, and then we pick up the story in chapter 19. Two angels came to Sodom in the evening. It ain't going to work out well. Guess what? There ain't 10 righteous people. There ain't. That's where we pick up the story. There ain't 10 followers of Yahweh. There ain't 10 people who have humbled their hearts toward God. Not 10. And so two angels come. Well, what is that? Incredibly hopeful. They come to Sodom in the evening, Lot sitting in the gate of Sodom. Um, and that's an important tidbit to carry into the story. It was such a bad place, especially at night, not even 10 people in the whole town. So here's the story. Let's move quickly. Uh, Lot is in the gate, of the, the gate of Sodom, and the gate of an, uh, an ancient city like that was like a place of commerce, you know? So think of a piazza, think of a big gate, think of where people would go and congregate, talk about politics, leaders would meet there and so on. It was a place of community. And so Lot is sitting at the gate of Sodom, and it's also a place of leadership. So Lot has apparently risen to some place of leadership. When Lot sees these two angels, he, he's not sure who they are, but he rises to meet them, bows himself with his face to the earth. Maybe he senses they're sort of supernatural, it seems. And he says, my lords, please turn aside to your servant's house, spend the night and wash your feet. That, and then you can rise up early in the morning, get on your way. And they said, no, we will spend the night in the town square. Now, ladies and gentlemen, these two angels, these two messengers, these two representatives sent by God know how bad it is. I mean, it's a setup for Lot. 
Lot, he, he sees them. He says, ooh, 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 let's think about uh, <clears throat> It's getting kind of late, and uh, I, I know how bad it is around here, and I know what these guys uh, uh, kind of tend to do <laughs> uh, to visitors and stuff like that. Uh, it's a very dangerous spot. You know, it's like hanging around the wrong part of Rio or the wrong part of anywhere. Uh, he, knows, he knows what they're going to do. And he says, uh, <clears throat> hey, listen, come to my house, wash your feet, uh, and then just uh, you get up early in the morning and go out. When it's daylight again, go out again. And uh, they say, ah, no, we're going to spend the night in the town square. They know what they're doing. <laughs> no, we're going to spend the night in the town square. And Lot's like, nah, bad idea, bad idea. <laughs> bad stuff's going to happen in the town square. So he, he's, he, he pressed them strongly, it says in verse 3. He pressed them strongly. And I mean, it's, he, he is, he's like, no, 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 no. You're not doing that. It's like a mom saying, look, I'm, no, you are not doing, but, but, no, you are not doing that. Now, he presses them strongly, and he brings them to their house. He makes them a feast, bakes unleavened bread, and they eat. And by the way, that whole unleavened bread thing, a lot of people like to try to make a comparison about the exodus and all that. It's just, it's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. It, it's just, he made them a meal. He made them a hasty meal, okay? Uh, and then in verses 4 and 6 and following, 4 through 6, uh, but before they lay down, here's this horrible thing happens. The men of the city come, and uh, it's this powerful scene. And listen, listen how it specifies, the men of the city the men of Sodom, both young and old. All the people to the last man surrounded the house. That's a pretty intense and bad uh, scene. It's a pretty uh, comprehensive scene, isn't it? It's a picture of comprehensive sin. And the scripture writer is trying to say, hey, don't think that this is confused. It was the men of the city, so you're not confused. I mean the men of Sodom. Who? Both young and old, all the people to the last man, and they surrounded the house. That's a pretty, that's a pretty scary scene. And uh, what do they want to do? They say, bring your two little visitors out there so that we may know them. They don't mean have a Sam Adams. Um, they mean, it's the same word as in uh, Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, Adam knew his wife. What what that means? Rest of the sentence. And she conceived and bore Cain. I think we know exactly what that means. That's not very hard to interpret. Adam knew his wife. She conceived and bore him. That's what they're saying here. Bring him out. We want to get it on with these two guys. So let's cut to commercial break here for a second because this is very intense. Um, it's, very, uh, it's, it's hard material, okay? So you got the men of city. Got it. You got men of Sodom. Got it. Uh, both young and old. People to the last man. I mean, that's all forensic information. Pretty inclusive. Um, but let's not forget the, the point up here, okay? Righteous Lot. Now, you look at Lot, and you look at where he's living and all that kind of stuff. Why is he righteous Lot? Well, would you turn, if you would, keep your finger where you are, but turn to Second Peter um, chapter 2. And uh, so if you, if you find Hebrews, hang a right. Um, Second Peter chapter 2. Yeah. This is, this is how the Apostle Peter describes Lot in this situation. Well, let's just pick it up. It's kind of in the middle of thought, but let's pick it up in chapter 2, verse 6. Uh, this is what it says. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, God condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous lot. There you have it, righteous lot. That's the New Testament's perspective 
divine perspective, the Holy Spirit writing, inspired uh, 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 through Peter. Um, he rescued righteous Lot. And we go, righteous Lot? What makes him righteous? Well, look at it. Um, he was greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. For as that righteous man, see now, look, it's saying he's a righteous man, lived among them day after day. He was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he uh, saw and heard. And where do we pick up Lot in the story here? Uh, you've got these guys going, they've surrounded the house. They say, hey, bring the, those, your visitors out. Uh, we want to know them. And uh, what does Lot do? Here's where we left off in the story. Lot has gone out of his house, all right, people surrounding the house, pressing in. Lot has gone out the door, shut the door behind him, so it's just him, and the visitors and his family are in the house, and it's Lot with a shut door behind him, and he says, brothers, don't do this wicked thing. And basically, you know when he's saying, brothers, don't do this wicked thing, you know what he's saying? The idea here is, don't do, don't be yourselves. <laughs> That's basically what he's saying. Uh, don't do this wicked thing that you set out to do that, that you customarily do. Don't, don't do your normal stuff, uh, brothers, this wicked thing. Don't be yourselves. Now, how do we apply all this? You know, in Second Peter, uh, as we read, we, we, a lot is identified as a believer in Yahweh. Uh, he's identified as being distressed with sin, tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds and so on. Here's what's frightening, ladies and gentlemen. It's frightening it's a lesson for you and your soul, even as we try to work through this issue. Lot was given the option of what hunk of land to pick. Do you remember that? Abraham and Lot survey the land, and Lot goes kind of selfishly. He's like, oh, that's pretty good over here. <laughs> I'll take that. So he goes and chooses this place. And, uh, you know, oh, just I'll go super quick. But, um, you know, uh, in chapter 13, it was... Um, um, Oh, yeah, you know, I, I mean, listen to this. Chapter 13, verse 13, the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Uh, that's what Lot chose. Sinners, great sinners before the Lord. That's what, he, he took the better location, um, but uh, he, he, uh, he went into the land of the sinners. But it says this, it says uh, in verse uh, 12 that he, um, or where is it? Uh, yeah, 12, he picked Zoar. Um, verse 10, he picked Zoar. So he, he's like, yeah. It's better land, it's a better scene, better situation for my herds and all my stuff. Uh, but I'll tell you what, we'll go in the outskirts of Zoar. We're going we're gonna to go out here, all right? But later, Lot is living inside Sodom. It says, uh, verse 14, verse 12, um, chapter 14, verse 12, uh, they took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom. So he was in Zoar in this wicked place, but now he's in Sodom. And when the angels show up in our scene right now, uh, in, our, in chapter 19, where is he? He's in the city gates. <laughs> he's risen to acceptance, and he's a part of the whole culture and all that kind of stuff, and uh, um, that, that's no small thing. Um, he has settled into Sodom. Now, should we be salt and light in our, in our uh, respective communities? Of course we should be. But uh, there's a difference between that and intermingling, and he is a righteous guy in a very unrighteous uh, scenario. Now, um, how? How do we keep ourselves walking through this culture, walking through this issue, walking through laws that are made around us, uh, walking through this sexually charged culture where it's just skin, 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 sex, 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 you know, 
I'm 55, and let me tell you, if you're a young person, you're going to get bored too. Um, about every five years, there's a new 18-year-old sexy blonde slut that shows up and sings a pop song, and now she's the new skank. And uh, she does something outrageous, and oh, we can't believe she did that shocking thing on the music awards. Oh, it's so terrible. And, you know, once, when she's seen about 10 of those, you're like... I mean, sin is boring. It's boring. It's just recycled. That's the culture we live in. How do we navigate it? Here's the answer. We need God's word at the center of our lives. That's what we need. Um, We need, how do we do that, by the way? Here's how we do it. We need the fellowship of the saints. I've been in ministry 21 years, and I can tell you that that is easily and accurately observed. If you fall away from the fellowship of the saints, where the, the hub of the fellowship of the saints is God's word, and you, you are in the hub, if you fall away from that, if you become this distant person, you start to disappear, and you don't come for three months or six months or three years, I'm telling you, what do you do? You move closer and closer and closer to the gate of Sodom. That's how it always works. I'm telling you, there's no isolated Christian. Uh, If you're a love child, you'll face the Father's discipline, and God disciplines those he loves. All right, let's scoot on through because we've got lots more to do here. Um, All right, second point, lots of sin. After this whole instance, after this whole story um, is over, the term Sodom and Gomorrah is used over and over throughout the Old Testament. I mean, you, it just over and over and over and over it's used. Um, and it's always synonymous with extreme sinfulness, this term Sodom and Gomorrah. Always, when it's mentioned, it's, it's uh, used to describe extreme sinfulness. Now, what kind of sin? Um, that's the question. What kind of sin? This is a difficult passage because some people have used this as a proof text against homosexuality. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm not crazy about proof texts. I think proof texts, texts are for people who like to argue all night long with their roommate in their dorm. Uh, I got a proof text here. I got a proof text here. I think it's people who just like to debate and they like dialogue and like to hear themselves talk, okay? But um, what do we have going on here? We have multiple sins happening. That's my point. Lots of sins, okay? Lots of sins happening. Um, all which seem to be highly regarded by God. You've got violence in there. You've got lack of hospitality and, and all that stuff. But you also have homosexual gang rape uh, going on in here too. Um, th- those, are, those are very difficult things. Well, so there's this horrible thing happens as we continue the story. Notice that Lot says, I beg you, brothers, do not act so wickedly. And this is so shocking. I know it's so hard to hear. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you, and you do as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they come under the shelter of my roof. Now, people will look at that, and they'll go, ugh, ancient times. Uh, this is just another example of uh, the low opinion of women in ancient times. And yes, there was a low opinion of women in ancient times. I mean, there's a low opinion of women in uh, current times in some places in the world, too, where women can't vote, or women can't drive cars, or women can't dress the way they want to. Women can't get an education. I mean, can you imagine? Th- that happens now. There's oppression now. And so we look at that kind of thing. We look at this kind of thing and go, oh, yeah, oh, women. Oh. But there's another answer here, though. Look at verse 14. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, 
who were to marry his daughters. Ah, that sheds a lot of light on Lot's actions. We read Lot and we go, oh, how cruel and terrible. Oh, there's another story like that in Judges where this concubine gets, oh, it's awful. It's awful. I think this is a different scenario. Her, his daughters, you know, he says, I got two daughters, never been with a man. And in verse 14, we find out, oh, they're engaged. They're betrothed to uh, these two dudes. Who are these two dudes? Sodomite men. All right? And so in ancient culture like this, when somebody was engaged, you know, when we get engaged, we pop the question, we get down on one knee, and now you got to have your friends around, do something at the shell or whatever. But uh, you, you, you do that. And, uh, and then it's like, okay, now we wait to our wedding until things are formalized. Back then, if you were betrothed, you didn't get to touch her, but you were legally bound. I mean, so as soon as you said, we're engaged, hands off, buddy, it's over with. They're a couple. They just haven't consummated that marriage yet, all right? So that's the scenario here. And I think what's happening, it's been suggested, and I think it's probably right in this scene, not in Judges, but in this scene, I think Lot goes out. He goes, hey, Sodomite men, uh, I got these two girls, um, and you can do whatever you want with them. And they're like, whoa, 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 we can't do that. Because uh, they're engaged to these other Sodomite men who are out here with us. <laughs> or maybe they're inside the house. But, it, but uh, the point is, he puts them in a conundrum to try to save the, save the day. All right? Now, ladies and gentlemen, that hard thing uh, covered. Uh, let me say this. The, the revisionist um, Christian uh, gay agenda theologians will say, oh, see... This whole thing can, I mean, there's lots of sins. They'll say there's lots of sins. And they, they, they do the same thing that's so tiring, I must say. Well, you know, all sins are, are bad to God. God doesn't like any sin. And, and you Christians are guilty of elevating one sin over another sin. You say homosexuality is really bad, but what about fatso up there with his gluttony and all that stuff? You don't even care about that, huh? Um, that is such a tired argument. Churches, preachers have fallen all over themselves for years to say, one sin's not greater in the eyes of God. If he's holy and you sin this sin or you steal a cigarette from the store, uh, both of them are enough to get you kicked out. Um, you know, th- th- we've, we've fallen all over ourselves to try to, to try to correct that. But revisionist historians, revisionist theologians will say this whole thing is about a lack of hospitality hospitality is very important to God. And these people did not show hospitality. They were like really rude hosts. I mean, it's really a bad dinner party when you think about it. Um, bad hospitality. And, uh, you know, listen, uh, you don't have to turn, but let me just jump over here real quick to, uh, they'll, they'll say this, oh, this is such a, this is such a mess up of, uh, of uh, the scriptures. They'll say, um, uh, oh, Jesus says uh, in, ch- in Matthew verse, uh, chapter chapter 10, verse 14, if anyone will not receive you, disciples, my disciples, if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. He's saying, hey, if they won't receive you, disciples, shake the dust off your feet. And revisionist theologians will see, see, hospitality was so important to Jesus. He talked about shaking the dust off the feet and so on, and Sodom and Gomorrah and all that. Uh, But friends, what do you think Jesus is talking about there? He's talking about the receiving of the gospel. He's talking about the apostolic message. He's talking about people receiving the news about himself. If they don't want to receive me, the gospel, 
Then shake the dust off your feet and go to the next place and preach the gospel. That's all Jesus is saying there. He's not saying, oh, hospitality is so important, and that explains Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, Not at all. Now, um, should they have been hospitable? Yes, that's one of the sins. And that was a big thing in ancient culture and so on. Um, uh, The big sin of uh, Sodom, however, was not merely a lack of hospitality. It was not merely a denying of Yahweh and his will. Um, It was not merely not worshiping the one true God, but being uh, sex-crazed pagan uh, 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 idol worshipers. Uh, It was that Sodom was saturated with sin, and the most potent expression of their culture being saturated in sin, having thrown off God's word, having thrown off God's design for human life, the most potent expression of it was homosexual rape homosexual gang rape, homosexual activity. So this is not some kind of proof text where you can go, see? Mm-hmm. But we can say there was lots of sin, and part of what made it such a grievous sin was uh, this whole issue of um, a breach of the Genesis prototype, which is what we talked about last week. And by the way, when we talk about what is normative in creation, like we did last week, You know, it's interesting to me that people find that to be the most boring argument when it's the best argument. (laughs) You go, how did God create the world? What did he want to express to us about creation? What did he do at the beginning before sin entered the world, before there was sin? How did God make it so that we might view it and say, oh, when it's not affected by sin, how is it supposed to be? This is how God did it. It's the best argument, ladies and gentlemen. And so the whole point is the, the people of Lot breached the Genesis prototype. Now, to apply this to your lives, and we're, we're in the home stretch, y'all, to apply this to your lives, um, this one book that I've been reading uh, by a guy named Matthew Vines, he's a, he's a, he's a gay Christian uh, uh, theologian, speaker, activist. Um, the, the buzzword is non-affirming. That's what you are. Did you know that? You're non-affirming. Some non-affirming Christians, you know, non-affirming. I mean, you're just discounted. You're not affirming. And the reality is it's the opposite. We affirm the truth of God's word, and we long to, are eager to be, joy to find ourselves under the authority of this book. We don't say, um, I would like to live this way. Now, how can this stuff help me a little bit? It is to say, we come to the cross, we surrender ourselves, we say, Lord, take me, a sinner, I bring nothing to the equation except my guilt, and you provide the righteousness of the Lord Jesus. Part of that, ladies and gentlemen, is saying, Lord, I'm giving you everything. And I'm saying, you have, you have control over every aspect of my life, and, and this is now my word and guide. That, that's, that's what a Christian does. This is where a Christian starts. All right, our last thing. We're almost done. This will be really quick. Um, forceful mercy. Uh, look at verse 15. Morning dawned. Um, oh, and by the way, um, the, the, the guys around the house are struck with blindness, um, and it's, it, it seems to have the same kind of flash of light kind of blindness as the Apostle Paul on Damascus Road. Uh, most people are convinced that uh, this is a temporary blindness. Maybe it is. Kind of secretly hope that it isn't, uh, wasn't. But um, so here they are. The, the, they, they sleep, and the morning comes, and the angels urge Lot, up, take your wife and your two daughters, because your sons-in-laws don't believe you. Um, and, uh, and we got to get out of here. But Lot lingered. 
So the men seized him. They, now they press him strongly like he, he pressed them strongly. They seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand. Why? The next line. The Lord being merciful to them. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. That is quite a gospel picture, isn't it? Um, hey, you're going to be perished because uh, uh, iniquity is going to be punished. Uh, yes, iniquity is going to be punished. It's going to be punished uh, precisely in a very real way. But I'll tell you what, my rescue is a real way too. And what, is, what, what, is, what does God do? He sends his, his sends his agents to grab them physically, grip them, pull them out of there, even though they resist, even though they hesitate. Um, uh, and and the, the reason given us by the text is that God is moving in mercy. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the message of the gospel, that we are confused, that we are entrenched, that we are surrounded by the sinful culture. That's why it's called a dominion. And the righteousness of God sent a savior that we might be delivered from that dominion, freed, and the way he does it is he moves in powerful mercy. We resist, he says, no, life. Um, we don't see, he says, now you see. And, uh, and we receive because we've been given the gift of grace and faith. More next time, let us pray. Father, um, we, um, we love the world around us and we love the people around us. And we know that uh, just from our own lives that um, we are uh, swirling, struggling, messes. Um, as, as our senior pastor said to our staff just Tuesday, we're, we're all a big mess. Uh, but you're the great sorter out of the mess. And, and sin is the problem. Sin is what changed creation. Sin is the barnacle on the good that tries to destroy the good design. And uh, what we pray for, Lord, is for you to shine light on our hearts that we might seek what is true see what is true, and embrace what is true. We pray all these things for your glory. We pray it in Christ's name, and we pray it, Lord, that we might find um, your will for our lives because it is the thing that will make us happy. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everybody. Hey, please come back next week. We got an awesome RUF guy coming. I snagged him early, and uh, I'll tell you more about it next week. And then we'll be back in this in two weeks. Aves.